Hey guys, before we get going today, I just wanted to throw a quick shout out to Thomas Duran. Thomas is our newest member on Patreon, and I can't tell you how much it means to have people reach out and support us in our mission to try and help us further the cause of child welfare. Thank you so much, Thomas. If anyone else would like to join Thomas in our mission of helping kids, you can do it at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. And again, thanks a lot. It means the world to us, man. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and I'm Paralyzed Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and Amanda. And today we have a guest for you whose name I looked at and I asked Amanda, how do you pronounce that? And and we're <laughs> not even going to try and pronounce it properly. Um, because I'm not going to say that again. My guess, my guess was closer, but I'm going to let her say her name so we don't mess it up. Hello, Jason and Amanda. Thank you for having me on. My name is Nipunika. Yeah, see, the accent is the one thing I got wrong. It's where the accent was in that name. <laughs> All right. Well, well, welcome. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We're um, we're talking to you because you have a foster care story. And these are the stories that I love to see where someone has, has been through their story and is coming out the other side and looking to help people. Because, you know, we, we have our own story. And for the people who've heard our story, we... We've been through our own level of trauma and our own level of difficulties individually as kids and then together as married and losing a kid and, and all the things we've gone through. And one of the things I've learned in this life is that when you go through hard things and you make it through, man, it's if you made it through and you don't share that with other people, you are just wasting your pain. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's very important to help others because of a helping others and giving back, but it's also an opportunity to heal yourself. And once you start to do that, you realize how true it is and how much your voice is needed to heal others, but also to heal yourself. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm involved with a group of guys online and a dad's group that have taught me the power of being vulnerable in those moments. Mm -hmm. That's one of the hardest things I had to learn how to do. And it's been one of the most impactful. I would agree. <laughs> so tell us, how did you get involved with the foster care system? So I was involved in the foster care system starting at the age of seven. And I entered the foster care system with my biological sister. And we entered the system because of um, our family home was very unsafe. We were um, being abused in multiple different ways and it became a really unstable and toxic environment for us to be in. Well, that sounds like good reasons to not be left yeah. in that place. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was definitely hard because, um, you know, so I'll, I'll backtrack and I, I was born in Sri Lanka. Um, and when I was three years old, my birth mother, who, you know, she did a lot of different things in Sri Lanka for jobs and stuff. But one of the things she did was make cakes for um, 
bribes, you know, just make cakes in general. So it was a few days before my third birthday. And she said, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go, I'll be right back. I'm going to go make you a cake for your birthday. So, you know, I didn't think anything of it, but in reality, she was really just going to America. So it was definitely like a transition after a transition. And right when I got my mom back, she, there was so many um, elements to it, but there was, she put us in an unsafe environment and we had to leave her again. So it was just one of the things that I learned early on that my life was going to be, the constant thing in my life was going to be change. And um, entering foster care was very difficult because when you're young, all you know is your parents. And when you're young, you think your home is normal and you think uh, what you go through in that home is what everyone goes through. And it's not until you're taking that out of it that you realize that that wasn't normal and that is not what a child should go through. So I think the transitions are always hard. And throughout my foster care journey, that's one thing that I've learned is how challenging transitions can be. And then later on, I realized how beautiful they can be. And one of the things I really want to give back with is ensuring that those transitions for other foster youth is it's never going to be seamless, but to know that there's someone that's been in their shoes, there's someone listening, and there's someone that cares. And most importantly, that there's someone that's been there and has made it out and is successful and is trying their best, and they can too. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, now I'm going to say that, you know, a lot of the kids we've had to come through our home were in that three- four-year-old age range, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. That's kind of my wheelhouse. Amanda will tell you I'm a three-year-old at heart. Um, So I know three-year-olds. I cannot imagine being three years old and having, having your mom just disappear. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely, it gave me a chance to be closer to my dad and especially after my sister uh, was taken, it, it was us against the world. And it's funny, and I write my book the same way, is I, and I think a lot of kids go through this, they find out things later on. So they have this idea of what they think and what their life was like and who that person was to them. And then they find out details later on. But how I remembered my dad versus who he really was, was totally different. So my dad to me was my happy place. He was kind, he was a good father. And then, you know, I find out details later on about why that might not be true. And so it's, it's important to really hold on to the good things about each situation. Like, yes, my mom left and that was really, really hard for me, but Every time I look back on the struggles that I've been through in life, there is always something to, there to give me hope. And it's, that's not hard to, you know, that's a hard thing to do. And, but it's an important thing to do in order to survive. You have to really hold on to those little bits of hope. And, you know, a lot of the advice that I have, I realize it's like, oh, that's, you know, it's easy to say it's hard to do. But when you realize that it's harder to hold on to the hurt 
than to hold on to hope, you realize that, you know what, maybe it's not harder. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because you've been through some stuff, right? I mean, <laughs> you've got a story with some stuff in it. I, yeah, you know, and that was just, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm breaking my story down into little bits because, you know, I've done the whole, like, just buzz through it. Um, and it's a lot for people to digest. And the reason that I can tell my story, and this is something that I'm working on, is I look back and I'm like, did that really happen? Is, you know, is that really my story? So I kind of detached myself from it for a while. And I think it's a healthy thing to do for a period of time to heal the way that you need to. But it's also important to really go back and sit and sit with it, knowing that you learned a lesson or knowing that there was hope that came out of it. Um, and I think when I was going through the foster care system, something that really helped me was that I would escape through art and it's important to find something that lets you escape. So one of the things I've always said was if I couldn't talk about it, I would dance about it. And dancing was something that really helped me every movement. I felt like I was in control of my body. I got to choose how to move. I got to choose um, the medium that I wanted to move with. And it was just a really powerful outlet for me. And, you know, traditional ways like therapy was not something that helped me for a very long time. I needed to find other forms. And that really did help to figure out an outlet for my resentment and my hurt so I can hold on to hope. It sounds like holding on to hope is something that you've had to had to really work hard for. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what my, um, my mom, the woman that adopted me, she always refers to me as the Phoenix. And I think that that's always been a symbol of my life. And I actually have a tattoo of, it's a symbol of strength, but it actually looks like the Phoenix. And then in my birth mom's handwriting, it says, and still I will rise and have victory in Singalese, which is um, the language that I was born into. And she really reminded me that through the dark and through the ashes, you can still grow and you can still rise. And that's why I have a connection with the lily of the valley, because that's a flower that blooms in darkness. And, you know, it's so easy for people to say when a child has gone through hardship that they won't be able to bloom, that they're injured or that they are never going to be successful. And I've used to hear the term, oh, she's successful for a foster kid. And I want to change that because I'm successful for a person. I'm successful, period. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a lot right there for sure. Because I mean, everything from the way that people expect foster kids to be, mm -hmm. to be seen or, 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 or thought of, you know, that's, that's one thing. And I mean, let's be honest, there are some kids out there who have been hurt in a lot of ways that, that are going to take a lot of years to heal. And that's just part of that yeah. process. But that doesn't mean that it limits every kid who's been through it. You know, you mentioned you had a, a biological sister. Is she older than you, younger than you? Yeah, so she's four years older than me. 
Um, and, you know, for a very long time, she was the calm in my storm. And it really did, it helped to have someone there for you through the transitions. And then for um, a few years of my foster care journey, we were in separate homes. And I really learned to be my own independent individual person. Um, and looking back at it, it was a hard change for me to make, but I think it was a very important one because it did make me very independent, but it also made me trust myself. It made me trust that I have the capability to make decisions for my own life. Um, so I know that that's one of the things that people struggle with is like, oh, we don't want to separate these siblings. Um, and every person is unique and every person has their own fingerprint. And so, you know, it varies from person to person. But for me, I felt like it was important for me to have my own journey through life, even at a young age. So you said she came to the U.S. before you, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How long were you were you by yourself? So two, one year without my mother and my sister is there and then one year without her. So it was two years um, total that I was by myself without my mom and my sister. That's a scary thought. It is a scary thought. Yes. Yeah. Just to have no idea. And then one day you're here and the next day you're gone. Yeah. I mean, yeah, That's it happened. Closure. No closure. Absolutely. And, you know, I know that my father has, my biological father has, you know, has his own family and his own kids now. And we've all kind of went our separate ways, but to have so many unknowns and to have so many doors that weren't closed um, really does kind of set a, a tone of just heaviness that does follow you when you go through the window and when you go through other doors. Um, but I think what's helped me deal with that aspect is to know that no matter what I go through and what path I decide to take, I'm the one that is going to travel down that path. So if I base my decisions on doors that weren't closed or people that have chose to take a path without me um, eventually or, you know, decisions that were made for them, then I have to just kind of take myself and say, this is the journey that I'm going on and people will follow me or they won't. And when you do that, you stay true to yourself and you say you stay true to the journey of healing that you're on. Holy cow. I know it's a crazy story. This is why I'm writing a book, but it's taking a while because I call it a heal in progress um, instead of a work in progress. But yeah, so it, it's a lot. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, this is the first time I've actually, you know, talked about my story. I've mentioned it. I've talked about it with, you know, close friends, but I've never done a public telling of my story before. So this, this is also kind of a learning process for me as well. Wow. Um, well, for three, so you were three when your mom left. So you would have been five when you came into the U.S. Yes. That's a lot for a five-year-old. <laughs> and then to come to the U.S. and be pushed into an orphanage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I actually thought for a very long time that it was like a, a 
juvenile detention center. So I thought it was like other kids that have done bad stuff or that has um, gone through other things that are just there as kind of a punishment. Um, And then I later I found out that it was an orphanage. And for me to think like, oh, those are bad kids to those are kids that don't have parents and don't have a family. It was really something, another layer that I had to heal from and deal with quickly. And so that's the other thing. It's like, no matter how much you've healed and no matter how much you've been able to digest about your past and about the lessons that you've learned, there's there's always going to be things that pop up that you never thought would. And you have to take a look at your life and say, you know what, I worked so hard to be where I'm at now that I'm not going to let this thing that came up, this wave that's coming to knock me down and make me stay down because it's okay to get knocked down, but it's not worth it to stay down. And that's part of why my book is called Oceans and Butterflies. So the oceans part comes from, you know, I was born in Sri Lanka. Um, My grandmother, when my sister was still there, she would put two chairs outside. Our house was right near the ocean and we would fall asleep to the sound of ocean waves and, and the moon. And so the ocean was really always my happy place. I once drove three hours at like 2 a.m. to go to the ocean just to hear the waves. That's how much I love it. But it also taught me a lot of things. And what the ocean has taught me was that everything that happens in your life is like a wave. And there's always going to be another wave coming. And you can decide if you want to ride the wave out let it take you down or jump through it. And then you have to decide what you're going to do after that. And what I've learned is if you jump those waves enough, if you get the strength that you have left to get up and just keep jumping those waves, you'll look back and you'll say that wave that's coming, I'm going to jump it. And when you do, you look back and you realize that that wave a few months ago, two years ago would have taken me down. So it gets easier to have strength. It gets easier to jump the waves that you thought you didn't have the strength to do. And that's why the ocean part comes into it. And so the butterfly part um, of oceans and butterfly is when I was in foster care, one of my social workers gave me a card and she gave me a card um, right around the time where one of my foster siblings that was in the same home as, as I was was being adopted and I wasn't. And I was in that home before um, this sibling was, this foster sibling. So she gave me a card and it was, I still have it. It was blue with white writing. And it said, just when the caterpillar thought the world was ending, it turned into a beautiful butterfly. So that was something that I've taken with me and has come back in circles um, in my life. And then when I met my partner, John, I, you know, had a day, a few hours with his mom when we first started dating. And um, I think like a few weeks later, she didn't know anything about me. She didn't know my, you know, whole butterfly thing in my life, but she sent a card and it was white with blue writing with the same exact quote. And um, in it, she said, you two have something special. Always take care of each other. So, (laughs) I mean, it was just one of those things that circled back in my life and I have both of those cards 
and that's why the butterfly is so important um, and a symbol for my life. And, you know, I look back and I'm so thankful for the, the caterpillar because that's where I learned my most, my lessons. And that's why I knew I deserved the chance to spread my wings and I deserved the chance to fly. Um, and I think a lot of people get bogged down by being a caterpillar and by going through the struggles that they went through, that they don't have the, the strength to flap their wings because a butterfly needs to practice flying before it does. And a lot of people don't get to that practice point. I love that you bring that up because if Amanda was to raise her sleeve over there. Um, <laughs> oh, does she, does she have a butterfly? Well, not just the butterfly. Um, the, I have the cocoon and some oh, other. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that there was a tattoo, and and that was that was something that that Amanda and our daughter really talked about a lot was was that whole process because her oldest daughter, um, she she came from a, a family placement, and um and that was that was part of her story, and and mm-hmm. we lost her several years ago to a nasty disease, but mm-hmm. but that was one of the tattoos that she has along with the the music of a song that was very important to her, but you know it has the chrysalis hanging off of it, and and the the butterfly that whole butterfly story was really a part of, of their connection. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and, you know, I think when parents find a way to connect with their child through other things in nature, like, you know, butterfly, the Phoenix, it really does help them deal with what they're going through because they, you tell them that you understand, you tell them that other things um, have gone through it too. And when you look at a butterfly, all you see is grace and all you see is them being beautiful and floating around, but you don't realize that they too have gone through struggle. So I think that's really beautiful. And that actually, um, I want that to be (laughs) another tattoo is a, is a butterfly, but I'm not sure how or where I want it yet. Well, we we don't want to talk tattoos too much. (laughs) The two of us, it would take us a long time to get over all the stories. Yeah, so we we uh, we're we are people who who proudly wear our tattoos, but every one of ours has some meanings and some mm-hmm. connections to the Symbolism people in our life, and, and yeah, yeah, and I think those are the stories that 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 we carry with us for sure out into the world. Absolutely. So yeah, that that's that's beautiful. So how long were you in the uh, in the orphanage? before you ended up in an actual foster home. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Or did, so, you, did you go to your mom's house and then end up in a foster home? Yeah, so basically um, I was in an orphanage. I want, It was definitely less than a year. I'm not sure the exact time frame, um, but it was until, you know, they got communication going that I, I did have actual parents here, or at least one, um, that my mom was here. So it took a little bit of communication and I'm sure paperwork um, that needed to be sorted out in order for me to be released into her care. So I remember I was in the orphanage and then I remember um, I was on a plane and then I I met my mom and my sister was there. And then there was this um, new man that my mom married who unfortunately was the person that brought a lot of the abuse and toxicness into our household. Um, And so I was reunited with them and my mom had a brother in New York. So we went to New York first and then 
um, eventually we made our way into Vermont because there was a motel budget in that needed a, a front office manager and a housekeeper. So that's where my birth mom and um, her new husband eventually went. And that's why, how we ended up in Vermont. Um, and then, you know, I was with them from like five to seven and at seven, we went into the foster care system. And what did that, what did that look like for you when you entered the foster care system? It was, I remember, um, you know, a, a lot of stuff was happening and school was finally starting to notice. And I remember it was Hawaiian day at school and we were having a huge um, assembly in the gym and there was a, a counselor, I believe, was behind me and she could tell something was wrong. So she asked me what's going on. And I said, you know, my, my sister wasn't allowed to come to school today. And so they, you know, did some digging and they called the, the house and they figured out like, you know, my dad wasn't, my stepdad wasn't letting her go to school. And I think there, there has been some kind of conversations and when kids are wearing turtlenecks and long sleeves in the summer, they figured something was happening. And so that day, I usually wait in the, um, in the playground and wait for the bus from the middle school to come where my sister would get off and then we would walk home together. And my homeroom teacher said, you're gonna go to the guidance counselor's office today instead of the playground to wait for your sister. And so I knew something was up and I remember in the guidance counselor's office, there was a sandbox and I was just playing in the sandbox until this day, I cannot play with sandboxes because um, it brings up that, that feeling and that memory and that anxiety that I had. So I was playing with a the sandbox, there was a police officer. And the thing about adults that they don't realize is that kids are a sponge and we may not look like we know what's going on, but we're absorbing everything around us. And so I knew something was going on and I could hear them talking. Um, and then, so I just knew that something was going to happen, something was changing. And that's a feeling that I get all the time um, now. And usually I'm right. Um, and so they were like, you know, your sister's in the lobby with her guidance counselor, why don't you come out there? So I go out there and we're waiting in the lobby and we're looking out into the parking lot at the school and we see this um, old couple come up and the, the guidance counselors were basically like, these are gonna be your new parents now. And so we went with our first foster parents and I remember just being devastated and not knowing what was going on or what was happening that my birth mom being who she is, um, you know, quickly, I guess, made us a plate of food to bring with us. And so I had some of my mom's cooking in the first home on the first day. And that I think really helped me a lot. And that's how she expresses love. And it's definitely um, transferred over to me. And I love cooking and I love showing my love through cooking. And that's definitely something I got from her and a piece of advice that I will give foster parents is every kid is different and every kid will have different needs. But one thing that's universal is food and it's their love of kind of healing people with 
providing food and providing value that way. So one thing, you know, I've thought about being a foster parent a lot. And one thing that I would, I would do as a foster parent, if a new kid was coming into my home was ask, you know, the social worker, what is their favorite kind of food and already have that made for the first night. And along with that, another piece of advice that I would give is, you know, yes, a kid is coming into your home and you're going to do your best to really incorporate them into your family. But it's also important to make sure they feel like they have a voice. So for an example, if you have a chore chart chart that you have for your family, instead of just, you know, adding their name to it, which they will see as like a family picture to them, right? Um, Let them choose what color they want to be. And so they know, like, we're incorporating you into our family. There are rules, there are things you have to do, but you'll always have a voice and we want you to feel included. And that means you get to pick the color that your name is going to be on the chart or we made your favorite food because we want you to know that we want you to be, you know, comfortable here. But we do sit at the table and we eat as a family. So it's really like those balances and making sure it's not them feeling like they have to totally change the way they live, but that they have a voice in how they're going to fit into your family and your rules. You know, you mentioned food. <laughs> we, we have done a lot with food over the years for different kids and yeah. Amanda will speak to the um, amazingness of some of the creations I've come up with mm. dog um chili, chili dog. dog tater tot pizza oh my gosh yeah oh my gosh my John would be all over that <laughs> I was the king of the world that night <laughs> <laughs> yeah see food is a universal language and you know it's it's a And it's funny because another thing that I teach and try to portray is to listen to those cliches that you hear over and over again, because you know what, they're cliches for a reason. People find them to be true to so many people for a reason. And when you start listening to them, you can see how they apply into your life or how they don't. And they, they have really helped me to figure out how I fit into the world with other people and how I'm different from it. So, you know, when it comes to foster parenting and advice, it's like, just listen to those cliches because they're true. Yeah. The cliches come from somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Um, Well, and now were you in any other foster homes or was, was that Mm -hmm. end up being your no, no. So I, um, we definitely moved around a lot. So my sister and I were together through, let me see, one, two, three homes. We were together. And then um, she was, um, we actually got reunited back with our birth mother. And by that point, she had our half brother, um, who, you know, is my world. I love him so much. But um, we got reunited back with her. And you know, one of the things that I've had to deal with and learn is that she was also in an abusive relationship. So that was something that was hard for her to get away from. Um, So she made choices that, oh, you know, a a mother should not make, like leaving us to go see uh, my brother's dad. And um, so, you know, there was other stuff that happened where she was used to the culture in Sri Lanka where it is okay to be um, violent to your kids or hate your kids. 
Um, so she was still kind of trying to learn that that was not okay. Um, and she made mistakes. And so we actually re-entered the foster care system. And when we did, we went to a family um, in the same town that we were in. And I, I think, you know, this is one of the lessons that I learned that I use now in my professional life is it started out as a survival um, tactic that I need to know who a person is within minutes or within hours of being in someone's home in order to survive. And so now it's kind of developed into this gift. And so when we went into that foster home after being reunited with my mom for a very short period of time, um, I knew that this home wasn't the white picket fence that they were portraying to be. And so I spoke up about it and I said, you know, I, I don't want to be in this home. And I think my sister was so wrapped up in wanting that life and in wanting a stable home and in wanting to be understood that she didn't see it. And so I remember she came to my door and she said, you know, this is my family and this is my home. If you want to leave, you can, but I'm staying here. And I remember that night I had this dream and I still remember it vividly. It was in front of this, the house that we were in uh, currently and um, at that time, and it was a crossroad and I saw, you know, the home that they were going to put me in if I didn't want to stay there. I saw the home that my sister was in and the family there uh, standing there with her. I saw my brother and my mom, and then I saw me right in the middle. And it was one of the hardest decisions that I had to make, um, not because I didn't know what choice to make, because I knew I didn't want to be there, but because I knew my sister wasn't going with me. And I knew that my sister found her family and I would have to find my family on my own. Um, so, you know, I went into that foster home and that it was a whole nother layer of hurt. And that's, I think, when my strength was harder to find and my strength kind of went away. And I was definitely, you know, very suicidal. I was having a hard time kind of coping with all the changes around me. And I think the hardest part was that the change I made was on my own. And the change I made was purely my choice and not things that happened to me. Granted, the choice that I was forced to make was because of what's um, happened to me before, but I made the choice to be separate separate from my sister and looking back at it I'm glad I did because like I've said before um, it taught me to be independent and taught me to be my own person but then it was just the kind of the first choice that I ever got to make as my own individual person and I was having a hard time dealing with it and I you know got a taste of being back with my mom and I was so happy and my little brother was there and then to be separated from her a second time. And then immediately after that, to be separated from my sister. It was just a lot to deal with at once. And I think that was probably the hardest point of being a caterpillar then was that I was just fighting against myself and I didn't have the right support system. I didn't have the right family to help me through that. Um, and, you know, it, there was, there's a lot of 
brokenness in the system. And that's why I think foster parents are so important because you can be the glue that that mends those broken cracks in the system. And unfortunately, these foster parents weren't. And so when I was going through a hard time and I was suicidal, instead of getting me the true help I needed, they sent me away to soccer camp for two weeks by myself. And so, you know, it was was support that I didn't need um, or it was support that wasn't needed because it wasn't the right support. And I don't know who or why thought it would be good to send a suicidal teen to live by herself for two weeks at a soccer camp, but that's what they did. And so there was just, there's just so many injustices that I went through being hurt or being an injured foster um, child that I still struggle with, but it made me hell of a lot stronger. And instead of holding on to the hurt and the bitterness, because all it's going to do is hurt you at the end, I learned to say, you know what, if I went through that, it's the waves. If I went through that wave, then there's, there's nothing that can stop me. And there's nothing that will hold me down for too long. Yeah, that's a lot to go through for, especially when you're dealing with a, a teen dealing with suicidal ideation. Yeah. That's, that's a tough spot. You know, we, we've been through, through that world mm-hmm. with, with some kids in, in our past as well. And uh, as far as I can tell, you know, if anybody listening knows that I'm wrong here, please feel free to, to give me the, the correct answer. But I don't believe I know many, many teens going through that, that there's a real set answer for that's just a challenge for every one of them. That's unique and different. And yeah, especially a kid who's gone through as many, as many things that you had at a young age, I can only imagine that, that the attachment, you know, your, your attachment abilities at that age was probably fairly difficult learning to attach right. to people because you'd had so many different caregivers at that point. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, what is my constant? My constant was change. And when that's your constant, that becomes a lot to, hold on to and it becomes a lot to grow from and so I think what happened for me it got to the point where I had this much hope for such a long period of time and then the troubles and the hurt just kept getting bigger and bigger and it overgrew the hope that I had and so that's when I got into the dark space and that's when I had suicidal ideal ideation is because I no longer had something to hold on to there was no longer any hope because the hurt was overpowered And there wasn't someone there to show me that there is the light, there is hope at the end, and there is success, that there is something for you to hold on to and look forward to. Because at that point, I didn't have anyone. And I truly, truly felt like I was alone. And when you feel isolation, you don't feel worth. And isolation is different than being alone and being comfortable being alone. Isolation feels like you don't have a choice but to be alone. And I think that was the factor and the element that was different in how I learned to overcome it is because I felt isolated and I didn't feel like I had a choice but to be isolated. I felt like I was misunderstood. No one truly got what I was going through. And then the whole, and I think a lot of parents deal struggle with this because I know it is a practice and it is something that they've been told to do is 
almost punish your kid for being, you know, having suicidal ideation and having those thoughts that they're bad to have them. And it's, it's not, instead of figuring out why are you having them? Why do you feel like this? It's you shouldn't, and there's no other way out. So it's either don't have these thoughts, or if you do, you're bad and that's it. There's no, you know, you have these thoughts, but these are the different paths you can take instead of the path that you think you have to take. And so, you know, it's important to just reassure that what you're feeling right now is valid and you have every right to feel down. You have every right to be hurt, but there is another way out. And I love you enough to show you that there's another way out. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned losing connections with your mom so many times. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that you probably had one of those great big gaping mother wounds for a lot of Mm -hmm. years. Yeah, absolutely. I think, a part of me was so attached to my mother because it's it's sad because she, you know, deep down she is kind. She just doesn't know any better. And she's so set in her ways that it's, it's sad because it's ruining so much around her life. And to me, it's like when I when I love someone and I care for someone, I'm loyal and I will do anything for you. Um, But it it got to the point where I had to realize that in order for me to not follow in my mom's footsteps and in order for me to ensure that I can give the love that I want to give to other people in my life, I have to create some distance between her and I to ensure that I can heal. And eventually maybe I can help her after I've healed, but two broken people can't heal each other, um, you know, when, when it's that broken. And so it was definitely a hurt that I felt for a very long time. And it was also, you know, something I, I've dealt with. Like I, I watch TV shows where there's the strong bond between a mother and a daughter. And I've always yearned for that. And I've always wanted that. And you know, for the longest time, it's like, oh, I missed out on that. And I didn't have that. But now I look at it as I can't wait to have that with, you know, a foster child I have, or or one of my own kids, my own kids, one of my biological kids um, in the future. So it's definitely instead of saying, oh, poor me, it's, you know what, now I know what I don't want to be like as a parent, or now I know what I um, am looking forward to being as a parent and what is important. So I've definitely learned a lot of lessons about the kind of parenting that I want to ensure and practice when I have my own kids. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Amanda has has uh, some some issues with with her mom that she grew through and, and you know, me and my mom don't have a terribly close relationship. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things that that it creates a real difficult place for a lot of kids, especially as you, as you get into the world and, and you eventually figure out that your life is affected by that mm-hmm. and recognizing that and being willing to, to work through it is, is uh two different things. And if everybody hears, you know, listening and hears any noise <laughs> now, we, we just had a visitor show up. We have a new co-host. Um, yeah. He's a, <laughs> Mr. Scotty is our godson and and he comes over in the afternoons and uh forgot what time he was coming over today so 
today you'll probably get to hear scotty on the podcast don't worry he doesn't say much no worries welcome especially while he has some uh has some little puffs in his hands he's he's doesn't say much there oh that's awesome it's cute well more the merrier (laughs) (laughs) i'm curious um you you mentioned about as as you're going through your journey how you you really lost hope Mm. where did you find your hope at i found it in my future self i found it in the little girl that I was. So, you know, it's the cliche saying like you find, you do it for the little girl that needed you be the person you needed when you were younger. And that's, that's really where I found my hope. And it was because I wanted to prove, I wanted to prove myself wrong. And when I didn't have hope, that's the person I wanted to prove wrong. Because I didn't think that I could find that ever again. And I did. And I proved that little girl wrong. But at the same time, I also healed her. Because at that point of not seeing any hope or not seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, she never thought she could see it again. So when I eventually did find it um, by, by wanting to prove my younger self wrong, I also healed my younger self. and so it's it's one of those things it's like you can't have one without the other so if I never found that hope I never would have healed and one of the things I think about now is you know when I feel like you know it's okay for me to relax and it's okay for me to take the eye off the ball and I'm doing great I slowly start to slip back into that pit of hopelessness and I remind myself how bad it felt and then I work hard so I don't have to feel that again. And it's it's not, you know, and, and for a longest time, and I think everyone does need to go through this if you truly need want to heal and work on yourself, it feels like you're running a race. And when you run a race without healing or training yourself, you get exhausted, you get winded and you stop. And then everyone else passes you and you just feel like you're going backwards. And when you don't think of it as a race, but you think of it as training and healing, um, you're able to have the, the quantity to keep going. You're able to have the momentum to keep going. And one of the stories that I think of is the first time I ever ran, I think it was, I think it was a 3K or 5K. It's the first time I ever ran a race and I didn't do much training for it. And I, you know, when it started, I was the first one, I was right behind the cop car, and I was running as fast as I could. And I was in first place for half the race. Um, And then I started to slow down because I was I was winded and I didn't train and I didn't have the the um, strength to keep going. And so I stopped and started walking and everyone passed me. And you know, the lesson that I learned was that no one remembers the person that was first for most of the race. They remember the person that finished first. And that's a lesson that I learned earlier on in life. And I didn't realize I learned it till I looked back on that moment. And I realized, you know, it's, it's not important how, if you're the first one to go. It's important that you have the courage and the strength to keep going and to finish. And so that's how I look at it. It's like, you know, I may not 
be as fast as someone else in my journey, but I'm, I'm training and I'm healing so I can finish. And that's what's important. Wow. That, that's a lot of wisdom to be dropped. Um, <laughs> From a race, right? <laughs> I, was, yeah. I think I was 11. But you also, you know, you had more than one race written in that yeah. story, I think. Absolutely. So I know that you were, you were in foster care for a while and you were eventually adopted as well. And yeah. At 15, you said? Yeah. So I was adopted at 15. Um, and, you know, my sister, I was in this home first, the, in the home that, um, that I was adopted into. And my sister was in the family that she picked and said, you know, this is my family. And then that didn't work out. Um, you know, the, what I said and what I saw in, in these parents in that home came to be true. And so she needed a place to go. And at that point, I really was, you know, I learned to be my own person. I learned to be independent. I learned to live without her. And so it was really hard to have her come in to that family for me. It was something that I struggled with and dealt with. And at the time, I wasn't mature enough. And at the time, I didn't have the words to express why I was so hurt, hurt that she was coming into the family. Because, you know, anyone would look at it and be like, oh, my God, your sister's in the same family as you. That's so great. That must be amazing. Um, but for me, it was kind of the opposite. And... I think what hurt me the most was because she was about to age out or she, you know, was aging out at that point of foster care, she was adopted first. Um, and so that was something that I, you know, honestly still struggle with. And, you know, I never understood like, why, why can't you fill out the same paperwork at the same time? But she was adopted first. And then I was adopted after her, even though I was in the family first. Um, before my sister. So that was something I, I struggled with and dealt with. But basically how I found this family was um, after I think my fifth or sixth home, I went into this town and I was with a temporary foster parent. And she had the idea of adopting a little baby and not a teenager with more problems than she knew what to do with. But when I entered that new school system, I met this girl named Hannah and we were and we became best friends and um we became really close and you know she knew how hard I was from and how much I didn't like the home that I was in currently and so basically I went over for a sleepover and I never left and um her my mom you know she is pretty well versed in child advocacy in that in that industry she was the president of the foster care and adoption association of new england for five years she was a director um at a, a home for um you know uh, young adults or teenagers that are um pregnant and need direction and help and now she is um a, an associate director for um children and family futures so she's kind of had a lot of this under her belt and um, all four of her kids um, were made her kids through adoption. So it was really the best home that I could be in. And 
she taught me a lot about who to be as a mom and who to be as a person. So I'm very thankful. And um, I definitely was still dealing with a lot when I went into her home. And then my sister and entering that home really created a lot of things that I had to deal with. And so I separated myself from that home around the age of 17, 16, 17, um, because I, I just didn't know how to live life with my sister around again, let alone being in the same house. And um, so I never really got to fully have that mother-daughter bond that I've always dreamed of and the home that I always wanted for myself. But now that I'm a lot mature and I'm able to take accountability for my actions and I'm able to express why I'm hurt and why I may have acted the way that I did, I'm definitely able to repair a little bit of that relationship with everyone around me that I want to repair. Um, and so, we're, you know, we're slowly getting that mother-daughter bond back, but it's definitely something that, you know, if there's one thing that I regret, it's that it's letting the hurt that I had for my sister and the decision that she made to pick a different family over her own sister get in the way of me having a bond with the family that chose to adopt me. Um, so that, you know, if I have any regrets, definitely that, but I know that nothing is permanent and there's always a way to fix something. And no matter how hopeless it may seem, no matter how hopeless the caterpillar feels, they're always going to have a new world and they're always going to be able to flap their wings and fly away and figure out a way to make it work. And so that's, that's how I find hope in every situation. That's amazing. Now, you know, we, we haven't really discussed this at all, but just taking one look at you, I'm going to say you, you do not appear to have even considered what your forties are going to be like yet. Um, <laughs> so, so how old are you now? I'm 23. 23. Okay. So, so this, this wasn't that many years ago for you. Yeah. Wow. And you, and you're, you've come to a point of some, some real wisdom and, and deep thought processes for being 23, especially because I mean, I remember the 23 year old me and he was kind of an idiot. Mm. I mean, I, I don't know if that's the same way for everybody else <laughs> out there listening, but for me, um, 23 was not an age of much wisdom. And it sounds like you've really, really gained a lot of perspective and, and some knowledge and wisdom and are seeking that that wisdom out of your own life through yeah. these hard places yeah I I think one of the things that helped me was going through cognitive processing therapy and why that was really helpful was I was able to identify why I felt the way I did and I realized that it's because I didn't want to fit into stereotypes. And so I would rebel. And there's a good way to rebel. And then there's a bad way to rebel. Let me rephrase that. There's a socially acceptable way to rebel. <laughs> and then there's the destruction, the um, self-destruction way to rebel. And so I decided to reverse flip the script and rebel in a way of proving my younger self 
and other other people and the, the stereotypes wrong and you know that that I think that at the end of the day is like truly what drives me well it, there could be a lot worse things driving you because this has driven you to a place where you're really able to reach out and help other people and I know that you're looking at beginning your own podcast um belonging starts here is going to be the name correct yes and so I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there because I know we have a lot of listeners who listen in who are from all aspects of, of the foster care system. And, and I know that you mentioned wanting to be able to talk to some former foster alumni. And yeah. so if anybody wants to be able to share their story, how could they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. I would. So please reach out to me at info, I-N-F-O at the nika which is n-i-k-a brand.com and um you know i wanted to start this podcast called belonging starts here because i wanted to show um the world and other people that people that have been through hardship or trauma or foster care they can be successful too and I look at a lot of the statistics and I look at a lot of the stereotypes and the connotation that's perceived in media around foster children. And I know that it's not true of who we can be and who we are if we're given the right resources. And so I want to be able to share those stories. I want them to feel like we belong in the world of what people consider successful or what you consider successful. And it's also to show other children that are in foster care currently that there's someone out there that has been in their shoes and that they've made it out. And you know what? I hope I can inspire you to make it out too because you deserve it. Your younger self deserves it and your future family and your future relationships deserve it. And one of my methods that I use. And so I um, have a marketing and business uh, brand development business called the Nika brand. And I created a marketing and thought method called the fingerprint method. And I created it because we all have our unique fingerprint. And once you figure out what your fingerprint is, you're able to create an impression on others and you're able to create an impression on people that might need to have your impression, might need to hear your story. And so I want to take other fingerprints of other Foscare alumni and um, make an impression in others, but also figure out what part of our fingerprint, other than going through the Foscare system, kind of connects us together because I feel like you know like with us it was the butterfly theory and it was you know that was something that you guys connected to with me I feel like there's other things that kind of thread through the lessons everyone has learned I feel like that there's something there that connects us all a lesson that we learned from going through the same journey or a similar journey I don't think there's much I can add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head there for sure. 
yeah so I'm, I'm really excited about it but yeah so please if anyone's listening I would you know you just even have a chat or if I, there's anything I can talk to you about or you need just a listening ear or some advice I'd be more than happy to speak with you so please feel free to reach out and one of the great things about having a unique name is if <laughs> you just look me up by my name I'll be the first person to pop up on any um, social media platform so uh, if you don't want to reach out through email, please reach out another way. And I would be happy to speak with you. Yes, I do have to say you are the first Nipanika I've ever found in <laughs> um, in my life. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for coming here and sharing your story today. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. And to yeah, hear from somebody so who's really changed their life and and taken those those struggles and built their strength from the from the the ashes of their former life. Thank you. Yeah. You know, and, and I, you know, one of the things I want to make clear is that I wasn't always this person that's speaking that the voice that you're hearing right now, you know, I've definitely, I've definitely listened to the song pray for you by Aaron Lowenstein, I think it is, and thought of a few people that I would want to play that song to. And I was definitely bitter and I've gone through anger and resentment but it didn't get me anywhere but more anger and resentment and so I really know that it's hard when you're in that space to to you might even be rolling your eyes at me and saying she doesn't you know she has no idea what I'm going through but when you're in that space, it is hard to see the other side, but there is another side. And that's why it's a cliche. And that's why you always hear it and figure out a way for you to get there and figure out what makes you hopeful. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Nipanika's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes or on your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always... You are so super awesome. I thank you guys. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.